This episode of The Moment is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code MOMENT. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I wanted to say, if you have found this podcast through the Slate Daily Feed, welcome. Really glad to uh, have you be part of this conversation. I just want you also to know that there are over 60 episodes of The Moment um, in The Moment's feed, which is at itunes.com slash the moment. You, you can subscribe to get uh, all the new episodes, but you can also go through the back catalog there for free. There are great episodes up there with guests like Killer Mike, Seth Godin, Seth Myers, no other Seths, I don't think, Mario Batali, Tony Robbins, uh, Jesse Klein, Amy Schumer, Bill Hader, and... Uh, Many more filmmakers, artists, writers. So uh, if you dig this conversation, go check out the catalog. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Uh, this week, I'm really excited. I've only had um, a few musicians, songwriters on the show, and, you know, in, in picking them because, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's rare that a musician um, can can really talk about what they do um, or if that their work is is so interesting that I, I really want to dig in. Um, my guest today is someone who, although he, he's a young dude, what, are you 30 yet or 29? Almost, almost 30. 29. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, that makes a couple of the songs in this album really interesting to me. Uh, <laughs> the fact that you're almost 30 when you wrote this stuff. But it's uh, Taylor Goldsmith, the uh, lead singer, songwriter, lead guitar player for the band Dawes. Taylor, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. No, man, this is fun. So, uh, I guess th- three years ago or something, I was driving somewhere, and this has only happened to me like a few times in my life. Um, I can think of it. Um, when I, The first time I heard Pride in the Name of Love is one of them. Weirdly, the first time I heard uh, Ba to the Ba by Kid Rock. Oh, wow. There are only a couple of times where I've heard something. Know more about that. <laughs> some song on the radio. <laughs> and like drove, it used to be those first two, I drove right to the record store. Like I heard the song, I didn't know who it was, and... You know, I didn't drive to the record store with yours because there are no record stores anymore. Right. But when I heard your song, Time Spin in Los Angeles, I remember driving and uh, it was Sirius Radio and I, I heard those those lyrics. Um, you've got that special kind of sadness. You've got the tragic set of charms that only comes from Time Spin in Los Angeles. It makes me want to wrap you in my arms. And uh, and I just thought, oh, this is the next great songwriter. Like, who is this? What is this? <laughs> and um, I immediately like, pulled over and downloaded it so I could like loop it and listen to it over and over again. Um and so I just want to start there for a second. I know that was your um, was it your second album, second record. Yeah. When you when you wrote that song, did you know you had like done something special? Um, no, uh, I was the when that song got written. I was actually uh, working on this project called Middle Brother with uh, oh, with the guy, dear, yeah. guy from Dear Tito. Yeah. Really wonderful. I love yeah. that record. Yeah, that record was really fun to make, and those two guys are two of my best friends. And um, when we were there. It would, Matt from Delta Spirit was a member, but he was only there for the second. He was only there for like a week of it. He wasn't there for that much. He was there once we started recording, and then we just sort of rolled into rolled into it together. But with John, John and I had been living together for two weeks before that, and our plan was to uh, write the album together and and see how that worked. We had no idea what it was going to look like, and um, we were just such different people, especially then. Like now he's married, he has a kid, he's really like, uh, he's he's just, he's a different kind of guy. But back then he would be sleeping till five and be up till 11 a.m. 
and um, this my, is the lead singer of uh, Dear Jake. Yeah. yeah, and my hours were almost ex- it, it completely reversed. Almost. Um, <laughs> Why? I, we were awake for like five or six hours together, and then and then I'd have to go to bed, and he would just go off into the night. Um, he he, I I I think I was just a little. Uh, I don't know. I've always like struggled with. Um, just being a little more straight than I even want to be. And then he Me was... Me too, man. My whole really? life, like with the... I always go to sleep too early yeah. and wake up too early. I yeah. still do. I still romanticize about what it would be like to be the kind of writer that's up till the sun comes up, but it's just never been Yeah, that if I'm way. writing something at three in the morning, it's because I woke up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Totally. Yeah, and so I'm like, to me, it's I gotta have my coffee. I don't, I, I don't want to have too many drinks. Like, if I'm in a writing kind of time in my right. life, yeah. anyway. So, and he is such a brilliant songwriter that he would, he would kind of roll, he roll out of bed and come in and be like, I have an idea for a song, and then he, and then he's like, let's start writing it. We'd get started, and he'd be done writing it within like 15 minutes, and I'm just barely keeping my head above water. I have contributed nothing. I'm just kind of sitting there while he's like, while it's just flown out of him. And then it would take me the next, you know, three days to just try to have something that I could keep up with him with. Um, so I was because his stuff would come in like a burst of inspiration, yeah. and you would be using elbow grease. Yeah, on top I would of be it. like sitting at the coffee table and like just wondering if anything was ever going to come out for you know for for four hours a day but it, but stuff was coming out I ended up writing a song called that was on the record called Thanks for Nothing and a song called Million Dollar Bill and then I also wrote Time Spent in Los Angeles all within these two weeks um, and that, that's the fastest I've ever written in my life and we recorded Time Spent in Los Angeles as a middle brother song um, I don't I think the guys were kind of bummed at me but I, we once we started once it started developing as to what the game plan was going to be with the middle brother record and also and, and so I guess the answer to your question is yes I, I was, I was, I recognized that it was a strong enough song that one tour with a side project wasn't going to do it justice. You, so you, you, you sort of half said the guys weren't too pleased with me. You don't mean your brother and the guys. No, with Dawes. no, Dawes was thrilled because right. I took the song to them. That's what I want to know. So you yeah. took the song. You did recognize. Yeah. And, and you took the song away from Middle Brother. Yeah, we recorded it. It was a cool version, but it, but well, we just knew. And John, who's the sweetest guy in the world. Um, knew right away he's like i get it man it makes total sense like you got to take that and go like you know really push it as a proper single and you know single in dawes terms it's not like you know we were on top 40 radio by any means but it was definitely a a a flagship song for the for that album and and we knew that it was going to be that for whatever album it was on so we just decided that maybe putting it on this middle brother record that we were only going to be able to support for a month um, and then I'll go back to our respective projects. It wasn't the best so idea. So you knew that. You knew that Middle Brother was just... And it's an interesting thing that you guys chose to do that at a time when your band hadn't really broken, that you yeah. decided to do a side project. Um, and I, was it just you were just following a creative muse? Is that... A, 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 were you just sort of... Like, how did you even decide, okay, I'm going to take this time away from what I do? Right. Well, it was really... Um, it was uh, all... By the grace of John McCauley, he just kind of knew that it would be cool. We, we, Our first tour ever was with Delta Spirit. Our third tour ever was with Deer Tick. And John, in the midst of it, was like, let's make a record together. And I thought that's just something that you say to people, because it is something you say to people. Like I've said to so many friends, like, yeah, someday we're going to sit down and make that record. Few people do what John does which is to set aside time and then give me a call and say, hey, January, it's we got a house, we got a studio, are you in? And so then it was, I was like, okay, let's do this. On the front side of that, was it a hard conversation to have with your band? Um, No, I don't think, I mean, I don't think they were like, 
thrilled, but at the same time, we ha- we were uh, we had a tour coming up in February um, of that year. So when they knew that I was leaving for January, they knew that that uh, I was going to roll right back into work with with the band, and and that um and the plan originally again was to write songs only for Middle Brother in that time that we set aside. There was I wasn't going to take any of the songs I've been working on for for Dawes right. to. Uh, to middle brother so they weren't worried about me taking material away you, you said a few interesting things as you were talking about this and i have so many questions written down but i'm just gonna like uh i just want to stay with this for a second because the thing you said about sitting there with with john and him having all this inspiration and working and you feeling kind of like behind it and having to catch up um it you know in watching first of all so you described john like uh, otis the drunk on the andy griffith show like just the greatest guy in the world true, but yes. late at night yeah, yeah. You just kind of wake up happy <laughs> but um watching new basement tapes and watching it seems like you came in there and and the new basement tapes which is this uh you guys under t-bone burnett's stewardship um took bob dylan lyrics from mm-hmm. basement tapes and all wrote new melodies yeah. new songs yeah, right yeah and uh and in a way, watching it, it seemed like, um, you know, T-Bone was the the coach and um, Elvis tried to be like the captain of the yeah. team and you were the point guard. <laughs> That's cool. I'm into that. Yeah. You were in there like passing to everybody, making assists, trying to make everyone better. <laughs> and uh, so in, in terms of coming into a situation like that, I'm wondering if Deer Tick prepared you for it, in, if um, Middle Brother prepared right. you for it in some way. But also you seem like... Uh, you had really given this thought and you were prepared. And then when Marcus Mumford came in and hadn't, you know, written songs ahead of time, I mean, you really jumped in, it seemed like, to help him do his, his right. thing. I wonder if you were, like, feeling, uh, like, ha- how that happened and what that felt like uh, for you. Um, it was, I mean, that the new Basement Tapes was, a tr- you know, one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do for so many reasons. I'd never... I'd merely shook T-Bone Burnett's hand before we walked into that studio, like t- two months before that day, and I'd never met Elvis Costello, um, and he was someone that I had, you know, I told him this the last day, but I, you know, I had all of his songs memorized. Like I was such a fan, um, and I'm such a fan of so many projects that T-Bone was a part of. I toured with Marcus a little bit, and I toured with Jim. I didn't know Rhiannon, so that was also like a totally fresh thing and incredible. You yeah, know, she's some talent. Yeah, for real. And um, but yeah, it was it was. I knew that with with that company, um, I was I I you know I even I think I said as much in the film or whatever. But I I was not I was the the guy that you probably knew least about. Um, if you're just Joe Schmo turning on your TV, right. um, which was fine with me. I felt you know so lucky and honored to be there. And that that was also uh, thanks to Marcus. Marcus had told when T Bone uh, put the idea by Marcus. Marcus said, "Sounds great. I'm in. Invite my friend Taylor." Oh, that's great. Um, T-Bone wasn't aware of me, and he, you know, and he, I, I knew that. Um, so I, I felt really honored that Marcus would bring me up in that way. And then when we got in there, and Marcus, because I was like, I, you know, be, feeling these ways, I went in there being like, "I have to be so prepared. I cannot be the guy that not only no one's heard of, but is is you know, bringing up the rear and like dragging this thing around." So I went. I just. I went a little overboard and I, I had like 14 songs ready. Um, and then when I got there and it was, and you know, realized it was pretty much the same thing for Jim James and Elvis, but that's, 
those guys are just hardwired that way. There's just music coming out of them at all times. Um, Jim James came in with one song that he had written. Right? There, well, then, I, the movie the movie kind of shows it a little differently. He had oh, he didn't he have that. About, so he didn't have that. No, no, he had about eight or nine. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah he he was he had tons of stuff. Um, and Elvis. Elvis is a freak of nature in a lot of ways. Like, if Elvis decides that he has a song, all of a sudden it exists. Like, he doesn't even... Like, there would be times where a song needed to be finished and needed two or three more stanzas or something, and Elvis would be like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden it would be written. It would just... He'd just put his pen on the paper, and all of a sudden it was there. And um, I've heard crazy stories about that, about him with that sort of thing before, where he's decided he wanted to make records... Um, you know, two weeks from, you know, and then all of a sudden he had, has no songs and he, he has to write all the songs right then. No, right. One of the great songwriting talents yeah. ever. But I, I have to think, uh, and I don't know how you end up finding your your space now. Uh, you know, you came in prepared. And then when when Marcus, it seemed like, you know, and look, I know that, uh, you know, you can manipulate uh, the footage right, you, know, right, you right. want, but it really did seem like Marcus felt a little bit caught out. Yeah, well, it was fast. I feel like Marcus in that film was, I I think I'm saying this right, sort of like the antithesis of Casey at the Bat, where it's like, it's not the same allegory. He actually knocks it out of the park. He doesn't strike out. Yeah, yeah. expect that he's (laughs) going to strike out, and he doesn't strike out. Yeah, he comes in and Uh, he... Spoiler alert, we just ruined Casey at the Bat for you if you haven't heard the... He doesn't doesn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Mighty Casey doesn't. But, so... But, but, uh... But yeah, Marcus comes in and he was, he's the sweetest. He's a big goof. Uh, you know, he was, he had said like, I, oh man, you guys are all prepared. I re- he really thought we were just going to write in there together from day one. So when he saw three out of the five of us with a bunch of songs ready, he's like, oh, I'm so behind. Um, and then, so he had to, he had to really turn it up and work 10 times faster than any of the rest of us did. But, you know, as the, as the movie shows and as the album shows, more importantly, um, he, he does. He knocks out of the park. It's in, his songs are incredible. They're, they're some of the best parts of the record. Yeah, but you co-wrote Kansas City yeah, with him. Yeah, and and he part of that is um, just you know he's really generous. He's really like he would come to all of us and be like, hey, I, like, I, I need to finish this. And so you know there was there was times when they'd be working on something else that he can, he and I could sneak away. And you know he's looking for the right chord to to get into the next section or something. With Kansas City, I I served more as like a technician. Um, it was, uh, you know, like, whereas when I get my hands on you, that was my musical idea. That was, that was a riff that I had. And yes. that was, um, well, yeah, you end up right. Yeah. Sharing credit on a couple of the yeah, songs. Yeah. Yeah. That one was more like, that was, that felt more like a co-write. Um, um, but it seemed like it came, became important to you. What I'm interested in is cause you're the leader uh, of a band. I've heard you talk about your band a lot about how it really is a band to you, even though you're the songwriter and lead singer, but it seemed like, um, very important to you to help him. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, like, you know, like to really kind of like, uh, it seemed like you had just a great deal of empathy for, for <laughs> the spot that he was in somehow. Uh, well, definitely that. I mean, um, but I, I also, I had such a high regard for all those folks and um, in, in different, you know, for, in, for their own reasons, for their own set of criteria with each, with each person. And with Marcus, when I would see the things click like when when kansas city became a finished thing yeah um i remember standing next to elvis and he and he looked over at me with his eyes wide and was like this is a hit like this is an incredible song and that's just what marcus does he picks up a guitar and all of a sudden he's you know he's headlining festivals all across the world and um so i have a great deal of respect for him so i think 
him him showing me this vulnerability and and being a little bit oh, insecure is a strong word, but but just being uh unsure if he was going to be able to get somewhere and me having this you know deeply rooted respect i was just so thrilled to be able to be a part of that experience that that is marcus mumford songwriting you know well yeah you know it's interesting you're such a it's all in all in your songs all the time you know this um this ability to look honestly uh, and coldly at the world but also this romantic hope that it'll all be better <laughs> yeah <laughs> that sums it up <laughs> right you know and uh, and watching that and watching you in it um, and even the way you're talking about it, it like you, you you clearly appreciated sort of the momentousness of it and the the, the beautiful sort of uh, opportunity it was to work with all these people, but then also had like a very cold-eyed awareness of um, not wanting to fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and it, I, I think, I don't know, for me, I've always thrived on really uh considering the 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 negative aspect of a situation and in a situation like that you know it was in, it some people would say don't let your thoughts go to those places but from it was important for me to to listen to the way Jim James played guitar to listen to the way Elvis Costello sang to listen to the you know this this the musical spirit of Rihanna and Marcus and then to really beat myself up about it and to really um demand for myself an explanation as to where my originality lies where my personality is because a lot of it like i did feel like that technician i did feel like the guy of like oh you want a piano part in this style got it you want a guitar solo in this style got it but i never but i but you know the dream is always to be like that's a taylor goldsmith moment and that you can't get it from anybody else and with with those four characters that's it's such a clear aspect of their musical personalities they they cannot be mistaken for anybody else and and i don't feel that way about me but it's definitely the way i've always been is is to uh really ride myself and 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 you know some people would say just go with it just kind of float but i have to i have to beat myself no and you're right about yourself there right uh, i'm condemned to facts alone when my dreams leave me nowhere i won't forget my way back home <laughs> i mean that's i mean that's what you're talking about right you're looking at these at these guys mm-hmm. I mean I know you wrote that song before you did yeah, that yeah, but you're, yeah. you're looking at these guys going uh, alright I have to accept the fact that right now I don't feel I'm on their level Yeah, but I'm gonna find you know I'm gonna all right, I'm going to take that, and now I'm going to try to find the best of myself yeah. somehow yeah and that's a, and, and I think that's a daily um, experience for any artist whether or not you're the guy that can't get out of town or if you're Bob Dylan I think that you um, you have to reconcile with yourself that this this is everything and this is nothing and and that's a it's a it's a brutal reality but when you really like even on the drive here i was thinking about uh this last few weeks that we've been doing of like press and interviews and and you know i'm so proud and so lucky that i get to be in this band and i get to make music for a living but i also have to realize that the people that it matters to is like such a small fraction of 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 you know human existence and and i and and it's and it's it's a, it's weird because it's a comfort, and I don't know how to, I don't always know how to explain that really well. But um, but it, once it's I a realize comfort it's for, to you that it's for that it's not uh that there's not some huge that, that that um, uh, uh the moments that you realize uh, 
how unimportant any of us are, you're saying for you it is comfortable. Yeah, it just reminds me that it's not about the art itself. It's about the human exchanges. It's about the human experiences. I used to live this life of a songwriter thinking that my, my the most satisfied I'll ever be is by writing a certain song, by playing a certain show, by writing a certain record. Whereas um, as time has gone on and I've written songs that I look back and I'm very proud of, and then a lot of that I'm not. But uh, but but in those moments, that I I still find myself not really that um, changed by it, or all, the, or as satisfied as I thought. And I start to realize that the things that really matter, the things that I look back on and cherish, are moments where I was, you know, at a at at Mount Rushmore with my brother, and like we were having a cool conversation while we were in the middle of this tour, or at a dinner with a friend that I never get to see who lives in Minneapolis, or sitting here having this conversation. That's that's or whatever it is. That's that's something that involves you know human experiences rather than um, some catalog or or just the fact that a song got written. I, I just feel like that's more of the the template, or that's more of the. Um, well, it seems like that balance between. Um, like I said before, the, 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 the cold reality in a way, um, uh, but you know, your obsessive need to create yeah. and then to be great with the knowledge that if you don't reach out, you, you know, and connect, you'll be alone and solipsistic, like right. the romantic poets worried about. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. um, cause I, I was thinking about, you know, this new album, um, it, it's so, and the reason I, said like as soon as, that I wanted you to be on this show is that you know you made I think it's your best album oh thanks because and I think so because um and and uh you know but but on this record you know you have a song like to be completely honest which to me feels like someone who feels like a uh you know uh, this kind of world weariness that people in their late 20s have <laughs> but then you have the title track which I know was the last song you wrote for the record. Yeah. Uh, all your favorite bands. And and I feel like those songs, even though they're like very close to each other on, on the album, are kind of bookends yeah. in a way to the way you think about th- the world <laughs> and this whole thing. And I'm wondering how the same guy writes both of those, writes both those songs. Well, it's funny. The, the, with this album... <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I'm really happy about all the songs, at least for now. <laughs> but, uh, but it is fascinating how. Um, oh yeah, I like. I'm not saying. No, 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 I'm, no, I know you're not saying that. I'm just saying what I, with what I'm, I'm about saying, to say. Yeah. Like uh, w- the first few songs that were written, uh, I can't think about it now. Right on time, and to be completely honest, are are easily the most neurotic and and. Um, paranoid. I don't know what the right word would be, but it the most. Um, just racked with with uh negativity of any of the songs um right on time i feel like is a little more uh ridiculous or something but it's definitely someone who's uh thinking too much um and then as this and then as the songwriting went on and it's songs like things happen now that it's too late maria and all your favorite bands there does seem to be this uh uh, an acceptance that I feel like is much more accurate in terms of who I am, at least who I am right now. Um, maybe it is because I'm approaching 30. I've actually, um, uh, Jim James, when we were doing the, uh, the new basement tapes thing, he had said to me, um, you're going to really love turning 30 because, uh, he's like, I know I did because that's when I really started to stop caring what anyone else thought about anything. 
Well, yeah, it seems like you have to find a reason to kind of hope again or something right. as you <laughs> as you even look at it. I mean, you're still such a, a young uh, a young guy, but um, and, and maybe it's extra heavy for me because I uh, turned 49. So uh, I'm, you know, 20 years older than you and I'm, uh, you know, I can keenly remember what 30 felt like, which was more in a way traumatic than any other ones of these because you feel like you're right. growing up and especially for an artist, you kind of measure. Yeah. Even if you don't want to and so but the way i i I heard this album so um your managers are old friends of mine i've known them since i was a kid and uh man if i'm 49 they are old by the way they're (laughs) there i was a kid and they were already like the biggest managers in the world but um so they they uh slipped me your demos for this cool and uh so i heard all the songs except all your favorite bands oh wow and at that time i thought to completely to be completely honest uh and, uh, you know, things happen. I was like, those uh, were these standout tracks. And I saw this kind of evolution through that stuff. And when I heard this album um, and I heard the lyrics on, on all your favorite bands, uh, you know, I hope that life without a chaperone is what you thought it'd be. I hope your brother's El Camino runs forever. I hope the world sees the same person you've always been to me and may all your favorite bands stay together. Um, first of all, I thought, oh, Taylor's going to have a huge hit. <laughs> Which I was really <laughs> happy about because it's hard now. We're, we're trying to get, you know, Spotify or Pandora or iTunes or something to, you know, may all your favorite bands stay together, like use that as their slogan. No, I'm just joking, but that would be really funny. They should. I mean, no, they should. <laughs> no, I know you played up at Spotify yesterday. My yeah, buddy yeah. Jonathan said he saw you. and Yeah, you I met Jonathan, yeah. Um, Jonathan Prince, who's a great guy who's over there and a huge music fan. Um, how did you come to write that, that song? And I, you know, which to me is um, um, in a weird way, like almost a, um, a less direct version of Everybody Hurts or something right. of, uh, you know, because it's also tinged that song with loss mm-hmm. and it's uh, with the idea that we all die, uh, <laughs> with the idea that, um, uh, you know, no one gets out of here alive, but someone who's trying to hold on to what's always been special to him and hopes that th- these people that he cares so much about can too. Right. Like, where'd that come from? Well, it came from um, writing the song about someone who I saw as like a younger sibling, you know, someone that I really loved, but I didn't want anyone to mistake that song for um, girl, guy loves girls, you know? Um, and, and so I, but, but at the same time, someone that, you know, I I remember that feeling, um, when I was 15 and my brother was 10 and, um, the knowledge that someday he was going to use a swear word was like so heartbreaking and it would make my stomach sink. I wouldn't, I couldn't even think about it. The idea that my brother could ever, this 10 year old, perfect little dude could ever be this jerk. And 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 something is so silly as uh, using a swear word. It it weighed so heavily on me. And um and this isn't quite that, but it's a similar thing in the sense that when someone is uh eighteen and like coming into the world, and I you know I've seen them like grow up into this like really cool person, and I just hope the best for them as they as they go on um, into it. You know, saying like, I hope the world sees the same person that you've always been to me. Because I mean, when does that ever happen? You know, most of the time, um, it's 
there's as we grow older and a little more jaded there's there's that that person that you were in these in these uh formative years it's a hard thing to hang on to and that 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 hope that you have at those ages or that that belief that things you're going to get what you deserve and and there's going to be real justice in your life as to um as to how you see things panning out and <clears throat> and seeing people at that age really believe in it really feel like like no things are going to be great and and why wouldn't they that's um that's a such a beautiful um feeling and 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 when you can rec- register that in someone else uh y- you want to do whatever you can so that they can keep that for forever you know um and so that's kind of where the song started was just was just admiring um, someone who's taking their first steps into adulthood and, and, you know, just not knowing I can't control it, but wishing for them that they can, they can hold on to their bright outlook that they have right now for as long as they possibly can. Um, and, and so I had this, I wrote that chorus and that's all I had. I had that chorus for a while, like a year or so. Really? Yeah. I just, we would play it in sound checks and stuff and I knew I liked the chorus, but I just didn't, I didn't know how to write the song. I didn't know how to finish the song. And, um, and then my, I talked to my buddy Johnny Fritz about it and he's a great songwriter. He used to go by Johnny Corndog, but now Johnny Fritz, which is his real name. I don't um, know. His, I don't know his music. Oh, it's great. He's got songs like, uh, when a Ford man turns to Chevy really? or, uh, suck in your gut, but don't let it go to your head. All right. I'll be listening <laughs> to a walking home today, but go ahead. So, but, um, but he helped me write it. I showed it to him. He's like, this is worth finishing. So if it wasn't for him, I don't think it would have uh, gotten uh, finished. I mean, we it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's not a long song. There's only two short verses anyway. It's really all about this, that sentiment behind the chorus. But, but, um, yeah, but the, the, in the end, the, you know what, there's a bittersweet quality to it, which is the, the knowledge that you have. And, and, and in some part of you has to be singing to yourself too. The, the knowledge you have that, um, your brother is going to right he is going to grow up and say the f word a bunch <laughs> you know that that uh and and i see you know a, a thing that runs through a little bit of everything uh you know uh, into this song yeah. too which is this um this this wish that could the world could be what we're told yeah. it is when we're children yeah and i don't think that's something that i th- i think it's um um there's a beautiful Bill Callahan lyric uh, where he says something along the lines of, great. yeah, he is. He says something along, I, I'm going to get it wrong, but he says, uh, um, like, we have peace on earth about every other day or something like that. Um, and and I think that that holding on to that spirit and that, that youthful uh, outlook where you do believe that you, that the, that the world you dreamed of is attainable. Um, I think, to me, at least, and maybe I'm a big sucker. I don't know, but that still comes and goes. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll meet a girl and I'll be like, oh wow, and I'll fall so hard, and 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 you know, my friends will even be like, wow, that there, there you go again, just thinking that that uh, things can be that beautiful and simple, and um, and so I struggle with it, and I ref- and I refuse to just you know lie down and and give in, and I and there are times where where the um, harsh realities really make themselves abundantly clear and I can't do anything about it and I have to realize that this is a very complicated world that we live in. But then there's other times where um, I really feel like, no, I, I, I can be this hopeful and I can, I, I do des- deserve things to be um, 
better or 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 this real or this good. So I don't I don't maybe I don't know if that's the case for everybody. Um, but I definitely still feel like it's something that is is worth keeping the dialogue alive in your head about. You know that feeling you get when you can get things done with just a click of your mouse. It can't get more convenient than that. And now you can even get your mailing and shipping done without leaving your desk, thanks to Stamps.com. Stamps.com turns your PC or Mac into your own personal post office that never closes. Talk about convenient. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your computer and printer. Then hand your mail to the mailman or drop it in a mailbox, and you'll never have to go to the post office again. Listen, uh, if you're a small business, I mean, I think it's clear. You listen to podcasts, so you've heard about it, and you understand that... Uh, This is sort of like the best way anyone's come up with to save yourself from the hassle of having to go back and forth to the post office five or six times a day. Anytime you want to send something to a customer or to a client or for approval, um, to have to, you know, leave your house and deal with the traffic on your way to the post office and the lines of the post office is a real drag. Uh, I definitely don't do that. I never go to the post office for me. There's uh, almost nothing. If that's the only thing that I could do to get stuff sent, nothing would ever get sent. So uh, I recommend stamps.com to solve that problem. And uh, right now, use my promo code MOMENT for this special offer. You get a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale, calculates exact postage for letters and packages, and up to $55 free postage. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in MOMENT. That's stamps.com. Enter moment. You know, I just thought of two different things as you were talking, two different artistic works. Um, one uh, is that great um, Adam Zorich song, Possibility Days. I don't know that one. It's on his last album. Did you hear the last album? I haven't heard the last one. I got to get it. We, yeah. We went from zero to 70 all in one day, and then Kennedy took you away. Oh, it's wow. about this girl. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, you'd really like that song, Possibility Days. Cool. It's really great. But more than that, before when you were talking, I was thinking about, um, have you read uh, J.D. Salinger's um, Glass Family books ever? It's funny. That's so bizarre that you're asking me this. I'm reading um, Raise High, The Roof Beans, Carpenter's Introduction to Seymour right now. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's right what I'm in the middle of. (laughs) I just started seeing That's what we do here on the moment. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's exactly what we do. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's really funny. I almost brought it with me. That's funny, just because I don't, I don't know. I might go somewhere reading after this, but that's yeah. Funny. Well, yeah. Once you start that book, you can't. Where are you? I finished Raise High, the Roof Beams, which was great, and now I'm about to start Seymour. Oh, Seymour is rough, dude. It's so. <laughs> I mean, poor buddy. <laughs> you know, because it's all. I mean, it's just all everything, all about what you're talking about. Right. Um, you and I mean, really, because you know, it's about this this hope of, uh, and this innocence and, 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 um, it's just drenched in that bittersweet, um, that th- bittersweet thing of, um, what happens when you risk loving so completely, uh-huh. not in a, even in a romantic way, but like, uh, your, your yeah, your, your brother or your friend or any yeah. of it, how hard it is not to get broken. I mean, so you think it's possible not to get broken? Um, I just think it's, um, it's, um, it's a willingness to, you got to like keep a hold of a willingness to continue to be broken. I feel like s- there have been times in my life where whether it's uh something with the band or something with my family or something with uh a romance where it 
gave me every reason to um, build a wall. And uh, and for a while I did. But I think that what it, it, it is possible to, to be aware of that and then fight that urge and to still be willing to, you know, get the shit beat out of you. Um, Dude, I mean, you, you, your, your songs, you, you're able to do the thing that so few people can, which is you do get your worldview into these songs in a way that, because I wrote down here, um, often artists express growth through a kind of hardening worldview, but to me, it seems like you're determined to hold on to some idealism, despite <laughs> your knowledge of the other side. Well, you said it much better than I just did. Well, no, but... but <laughs> That's fine. It's the same thing. But the, uh, you know, do you think about it as you're writing? Um, when, when, you, when you sit down to write, uh, is it... Are there themes or are you just writing what you're feeling and then shaping it? Like, how does that creative process work um, for you? It, 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 it happens on its own, really. And I think I'm getting better at putting aside previous songs. I, that used to really plague me. Um, I would write a song, like on our first record, there's a song called West, That Western Skyline. Or on our second record, A Little Bit of Everything. And, and, or a song like When My Time Comes. And, and when people would come up to me and say they really liked it, there was this part of my brain that would say, okay, well now I like, and I, I've never been one that's, that's uh, directed by the whims of an audience or anything, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm happy that people like what I do. So there's a part of my brain that thinks, oh, well, maybe I should try to do that again for them for, so that they, so that they get what they like about me. Um, but then I realized that couldn't be a worse idea and you that can't make them to order. Yeah. And I mean, the, you know, there's that great, uh, in that Miles of Isles, Joni Mitchell live record, she says, uh, no one ever asked Van Gogh to paint another Starry Night. Um, so, and I think that's a really applicable thing with music or any medium where once something is created, it, we should be so grateful that we have it and and then we should move on with the artist in hopes that we'll find something that we love as much for completely different reasons. And um, But then that kind of started to screw me up a little bit because then Why? oh i felt like um i wonder if you have this as a filmmaker like i feel like it started narrowing my scope um with every song that i wrote it was one less song that i could write and that was my own perspective that wasn't really what was going on but i felt like oh a little bit of everything when i'm talking about this i'm using these devices um uh whatever i thought now i can't do that again and and then um and i felt that way with every song i felt that every song made um what i could write about uh, a smaller and smaller lens and uh finally a friend of mine was like you're that i we i had this conversation with my good buddy and uh he was like that's couldn't be more ill-advised like look at a guy like hank williams who wrote four songs ever and he just did it different ways every time and everyone loves every single one because they're the best and i was like you're absolutely right yeah i was gonna say you can't let it stop you in the writing like later you can decide i'm not gonna put an album out with all songs of exactly the same sort of like you know all doing the same thing but like you have to be able to write the things Right. right So is it a, a battle for you to get those other, you know, people ask me these questions about creating and, and what people do to get in a state of flow. So do you have to do stuff to silence those other voices to let yourself do your thing to silence like the the critic voices? Do you have to find new ways to kind of outsmart the inner critic? Right. Like, well, what yeah, do you do? the inner critic is such a, he's the best critic there ever was. Um, I feel like, you know, it's, I, I find it the 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 breakdown of critic and artist is is amusing for a lot of reasons but i think the funniest thing about it is that there's never been one critic that has 
put has that has given negative criticism to uh, something that I've made as well as I can. Of course, yeah, and you I've, can kill I've, your own I've, stuff. It's like I've thought of all of this stuff and I've articulated it so much better than you ever could. And you'd think you're telling me something I don't right. know. I mean, obviously, these are just fears and insecurities. They're not necessarily reality. No, and they only can you annoy you. Power to them. Like I read some old interview where you said you'd never listened to Jackson Brown when you were young. Yeah. Uh, which I still don't really believe is possible. You well, never yeah. listen to Jackson Brown. Well, but, well I know I love I know all those records now. But uh, it was just that f- I got into him right before our second record. I'm pr- fairly certain it's pretty obvious. Um, I had never listened to him on the first record though. Right. Oh, but oh, so more of the criticisms came. Uh, or not criticisms, but people made the comparison more on the first album? Well, when they made it on the first record, I would sort of like shake my head wide-eyed being like, oh, cool, I got to check that out. And then so I did, and then I fell in love with it because it's incredible. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, it came. And, it came through a little more. <laughs> yeah, but not in a. No, but not in a. I mean, uh, really, not in a bad way at all. And I, I think that that kind of criticism is a very lazy kind of criticism. Right. Like, you know, I, I, w- I was interested in the, the thing you said about. Um, I read in an interview about Tom Petty and how you said that you like the fact that the Tom Petty band makes albums that feel like it's the same band making them for a really yeah. long time. Yeah. Um, and. I don't know if you still, I wonder if you still feel, and you said that was kind of what you thought your mission with, with your band was to f- feel like this thing is, uh, each time is, uh, it's really the same band doing kind of the same thing, but just maybe continuing to grow as a, a songwriter when a lot of bands uh, try to kind of reinvent themselves. Right. Well, I think there's, there's a romance to all sides of it. There's a, there's obviously a romance when you listen to, still crazy after all these years and then you kind of go ahead a few records and all of a sudden you're hearing Graceland and Rhythm of the Saints. Well, yeah. And and there's, for any songwriter, any musician, you know, first thing you think is, I want to do that. I want to I do the weirdest thing I can think of or listening to Joni Mitchell go from being a folk singer to, you know, this jazz musician or, um, or Bob even Dylan. To me, I was going to say, when you hear, uh, even when you hear Infidels, you know, yeah. suddenly and you got Mark Knott, you know, yeah. Uh, so there's something about there's that. There's something about that that is truly romantic, but then when you look at the when you look at bands, it's it's a much more nuanced shift because there's four, sometimes six or seven artistic personalities that have to be accounted for and they're all growing and changing in their own ways sometimes in sync with the rest of the guys and sometimes not sometimes a keyboardist can get way off into Rick Wakeman and some synthesizers while a uh, drummer only wants to listen to, you know, old blues songs and doesn't understand why the keyboardist doesn't want to just play piano. Yeah, well, like, you can hear that, like, on um, Automatic for the People. That's clearly, like, a Mike Mills album. Uh-huh. I don't know if you're an R.E.M. person, A really, little bit. But, like, you can just hear that Mike Mills was the bass player and some of the keyboard player had this idea about a bunch of stuff, and you can feel that he wrote a lot of those melodies, something yeah. where Peter Buck would drive the ship mo- most of the time. But so as yeah. but th- this is a band where I mean those guys really wrote the songs together and you really write the songs in this band. So what is it that makes you want it to be this unit as opposed to you and this th- this thing that might grow at a pace more slowly than you would grow. Right. Well, I I, I one thing I do feel pretty confident in is that if I were to have been doing this on my own, um yeah. this wouldn't be where it is because I think a big part of our band and a big part of What's helped us get from one step to the next is the show, and and it's how good these guys are at their instruments, and how good we all are together in terms of putting on a rock and roll show. Um, that you know, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's better. I mean, um, but I really feel like if it was just me hiring musicians 
and it was all about me, the singer songwriter. I feel like that live component of our of our whole picture um, wouldn't be as 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 big of a part of it as it is. Then when I I understand that, and wait, I have to ask you. I'm gonna walk away from the mic for one second. Just hang in. <laughs> because my son is at college and uh, a friend of his there, you're his favorite band. He's a fanatic for, <laughs> cool. yeah, just a fanatic for the band. And um, Sammy sent him a note. That's my, my boy sent him a note last night. Um, uh, and actually I'd sent Sam your song and he hadn't played it for anybody because he's very good about that. And Sweet. so the kid hasn't heard it. The kid doesn't know that Sam even knew anything about this. But when I said I was doing this, he sent him it. And the, the kid's question, which I'm just pulling up now on my phone, um, he had one question. Chris, who uh, is, I'm sure going to listen to this, uh, I'm not going to say what college it is, but he <laughs> uh, wanted to know, You got. he said that you've always talked about how you were trying to get the way Dawes feels and sounds live onto an album and that you would you know, play, do the albums and then go out on the road and change the songs. The songs would change and shift. And that he'd said in interviews, he heard you express you wished you'd gotten to really do that before you'd recorded. And if you feel like this time you were able to get the songs in, in the place you really wanted them to be. Absolutely. Uh, this time more than ever. I think that we've, um, with songs in the past, uh, it's really, it was really mostly down to like the recording aspect of it. I, would, I, I felt really comfortable in front of an audience. I felt really comfortable with my guitar on my shoulders, with my band behind me, um, and then I could sing a song. But then when it was, okay, go into... Of, of a vocal booth by yourself and none of your bands with you and you aren't holding a guitar and you're having headphones on and now sing the song there was always this feeling of like how do you do this how does any how do people do this not that not that I didn't understand that it was a normal thing I just had zero experience with it or or relatively zero and experience so you couldn't really feel as free to create because he was saying the songs evolve more alive yeah and is that part of because you're playing and just yeah it's funny how like um like with with playing guitar um you you would think um that by by creating a comfort zone and creating a space where you can take all the time you need and you can you can go back over and just do take after take to till you get it to sounding like it represents you and you feel great about it um you would think that that would be the the, the a no-brainer that that would be the obvious way to approach it but but uh for me Every time I've ever liked something I played on guitar, it was um, because I didn't know I was about to do it, you know? Like in, in the new Basement Tapes, there was moments when Marcus would kind of like, go, you know? And all yeah. of a sudden, I'd be playing a solo. And and I would listen back, and I'd think, that's one of my favorite solos I've ever played. And and I had no idea I was even going to record it. And, um, so did you take that knowledge with you into this album? Yeah, and I found that the less that I could think about things, the le- like the less that I planned a solo the less that i could could really listen to my voice and i really all i could do was hope i remembered all the lyrics that allowed it all to be so much more free and so much more spontaneous and you know even trying to tell myself like don't sing it the same way next time don't do because then you know i just feel like it's sort of um like hammering out a piece of metal or something and 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 once you try one thing if you continue to do that, that's gonna, you're gonna, I don't know how people can do it, but you can start to hear when something's getting tired and something's sure. getting um, a little bit comfortable or something. And so. So does that make you understand? Uh, like, I, I was wondering, you know, looking when you were looking at those Dylan lyrics, like Florida Key or even Card Shark, which is like such a great lyric. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I'm wondering a couple of things like when you think about the guy 
who wrote those songs and was able to write those melodies back then yeah. and all those songs and then kind of what he does now can you can you understand it can you what did you take from from thinking because i imagine you must have thought a lot about bob dylan's journey when you mm-hmm. were doing this yeah if you allowed yourself to or maybe you didn't because of no, the, no, the totally. bigness of it so what did you know as you think about uh, about him and as you were looking at those words like what what jumped out at you and um yeah first what what did well i think that it really illuminated what a different writer he's been in so many different periods of his career. And I think the only way that someone can stay in the conversation like he has is uh, by continuing to force yourself out of those comfort zones and, and into new voices and into new writing styles. And I think the basement tapes is one of the most um, obvious, uh, uh, obvious, shifts or, or or just or just outlying um voices because it's by far the most playful the the most nonsensical and that goes for the stuff that's on the basement tapes record that he made and that goes for the songs that we were recording like card shark and stuff where i don't know what a lot of that stuff's about it just seems like you can when you're reading it, it or when you're singing it you feel like this guy's having the time of his life he's not thinking about it too much and then you go further into his career and then you find these beautiful long story songs like joey or hurricane that whenever i hear those songs i can't even believe that a songwriter can be that um just that that in control of his gift and i mean obviously he's bob dylan but at the same time i don't know anybody else that can write these eight minute movie songs you know well yeah you know there's one that's so on the topic of everything we've been talking about one of those long story songs um really about sort of like the artist's uh, the artist's role. In, did you do you know the song Highlands? Which oh is a, yeah, a late period yeah. song. And um, the this waitress asks Dylan to draw yeah draw her, and um, he draws this picture for this wait waitress because she says, "Please uh, do it to me," and uh, and he finally does, and uh, she says, "That don't look a thing like me," and he says. Oh, kind miss, it certainly does. <laughs> it's like so brutal and great because you know, and I'm, but I'm wondering, you know, what that's about is the expectations that an audience has of an artist. Yeah, right? it's one of the things which is be what I. It comes back to people that struggle. You have write me another song like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, write about me. And uh, I don't think anybody's had the, had that dilemma as rough as Bob Dylan. You know, this protest guy that was then ostracized for becoming a rock and roll musician and then he shifts into being this Nashville sing- singer and people don't appreciate that. I mean, they they have always eventually do because all of the eras of his career are I think are incredible. But then, you know, when he when he's doing those records like Desire with those long dramatic stories and then he goes then he uh, then eventually he's a Christian singer and then he's this weird like yeah. blues singer and he's and and I think that 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 is a, a real cool inclination of his bravery as a as a singer songwriter where he's he's he is willing to acknowledge what he what he can do what he can't do anymore and then use that as a as a means to stay alive artistically and creatively like there's that really great 60 minutes interview where they're talking to him about um it's all uh, um it's all right ma i'm only bleeding and and he recites the words he's immediately like darkness at the break of noon like he just knows he's he's it's still in the forefront of his brain even though i I don't even know if he sings that song anymore um and he says uh, you try to write that and um and he says i don't know how it came out i know i can't i don't know if i can do that anymore but i can do other things and that is such 
a profound it's realization like an, an old prize for an artist. Or something. Yeah, it's like I can't. Yeah, exactly. You 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 can't throw the fastball anymore, and so now you have to really learn how, like the curveball or the knuckleball, and that's the only way you can really stay relevant. And and I don't. I've never felt it on on that level because I've I've never had to deal with the pressures and the successes that that a guy like Bob Dylan's had to think about. Sure, but, but you're but in the current age, you're on social media, and so yeah. Obviously, nobody nobody's ever experienced what Dylan experienced. Nobody yeah. ever has had that that sort of you know the, the kind of attention and fanatic attention yeah. that, that he had. But you are in a, a place where you can play a show somewhere and get immediate feedback from people. Yeah. Do you tune into it? Do you tune it out? Um, how do you how do you sort of react? You know, because the the thing about this lyric Highlands, which I, I I've always felt is like so brilliant, is. There are these demands put upon you as a songwriter, as an artist, as a creative person. And it's very hard not to give in. You know, in the song, he does give in. He draws the thing. Yeah. And then he's kind of fucked for having done it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't know how you win. You know, yeah. uh, how, do you, how do you process it when you, uh, you know, when you're on the basement tapes and um, look, I, I, you know, you, uh, you and Elvis each wrote a version of one song and yours is on the record and his isn't. Right, right. Because yours is the much better song. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm sure someone wrote like, hey, why is it, you know, how do you, yeah, yeah. You, how do you handle gonna it? It's going to be flack. I mean, you know, th- in our in our Rolling Stone interview, uh, not, not interview, review, I didn't even get mentioned. It was like this great band with Jim James, Marcus Mumford, um, and I. And Dude, I, I saw that. It made me angry. I didn't I know like, wow. you. <laughs> it made me angry. I was like, did they not understand this kid wrote most of, most of the songs more <laughs> and, than anyone else? And I appreciated that, you know, just to keep things positive, he'd rather not include me than say, and then this kid I don't like. I mean, it's like, okay, if you don't like me. Oh, that's what I you pre- took from that? That's what I took from it. It's And either way, it's fine. I mean, it's I don't really care what that guy thinks. I don't really know if I really believe in the power of reviews anymore because of that social media thing that you're talking about. I think that um, people all feel so, um, well, not only entitled, but also so so powerful um yeah and they don't need they don't need to be spoken for anymore you don't they don't need to go to pitchfork or rolling stone to hate something and then make sure everyone knows that so by the time you're reading that review you've already not only come up with your opinion but you've broadcast it so you feel satisfied in a certain way i mean it's ugly but it's like but that's but i feel like that's true but how do you deal with it as an as the person on the receiving end i think that i mean it's it's just gotten funnier and funnier to me as time's gone on now um i don't know i feel like it's the same for any artist if you stick with it long enough like now like i've I've talked to friends who don't work in music and when i'm when i explain to them that that you know oh we try to get this opportunity with this show or with this uh this 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 website or something and then their guy responded saying i'd never like this band i never will um my you know my friends that don't or family that don't work in music they're like whoa they said that and i was like yeah they always that's how people communicate and and i think that my skin is thicker now and i'm able to uh look at the material that i write and think is this something that i'm happy with is this something that i'm proud of and i and i and the the hardest thing to do is to oh, when you look at any artist whether it's yourself or another one is to not not only understand it on their terms or try to understand it on their terms um but also um by your own criteria that you've created based on that artist like if i go yeah. to um a tom petty record with my criteria for 
a Bob Dylan song. It's not it's not going to be bad because I love every Tom Petty record, but I but it but it's not it's not achieving the same goals and it never meant to. And and that's one thing that uh, that I have to keep in mind um, for myself when I think back on our shows or records or 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 when I'm looking at the negative criticism. Like here's a guy that likes heavy metal or here's a guy that likes something or or that 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 hates Oh, you know, early Bruce Springsteen when he was like rattling off all these lyrics. It's like, well, obviously he's not going to really like what I do or whatever the example is. How did you get to like a place of uh, equanimity like this where you're okay with it, where you don't get down? Um, Like, were you singled out young for being good at this? Like, did you know at a young age you were good at this stuff, uh, at playing and singing and writing? um, I I was always an all right singer. I knew that when I was a kid. Like, um, it's funny how it used to be much easier for me to sing. Now it's... uh, like as you get older, it's just you have to find new ways of doing it, and your voice starts croaking out, and you're, you know, you're just singing too much, and um, you know, it goes back to the prize fighter thing, or or watching all these basketball players in the playoffs. It's sure. it's not easy eventually, <clears throat> physically, um, but I think I was having a conversation with a young songwriter friend that was talking about just getting started, yeah. and um, and they said like, you know, it's just always so scary to think that, you know, when what if people don't like it. And I said, I, I, I didn't really mean to laugh, but I sort of laughed. And I was like, oh, don't, you don't have to ask yourself. <laughs> you don't have to wonder if they won't like it. They won't. You should, you should act according to the reality that they will hate it. And then I feel like you can really can get back to doing it for yourself. Um, and that is how, and I've, and I've said that to songwriters that, that are, you know, like friends who are, you know, really making a living at it. And when, that you know, I've told them that's how I look at things, and that's how I'm able to sleep at night, and that's how I'm willing to accept all that negative criticism is because I expected them to not like it. Um, then th- they're like, "Really? That's how you look at it?" And um, that's I don't maybe that's a weird way to be, but that's that's the that's the way that I'm able to power through it. And again, it's not like it's it's uh, it's it's not like everyone hates our music by any means, and it's not like um, it doesn't sting on some level when you come across that stuff. But at this point, a bad review to me is more of a marker of, oh, is this how other people are going to feel? Is this going to deter a possible fan? I don't really give a shit about some dude on a magazine that doesn't like my music. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sure we'd be pals. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just saying like that's that's just uh, that's I, I have to expect that. On the flip side, does the does the when people get it? Does that mean something to you when you can tell someone really gets what you're trying to, you know, some kid comes up to you after a show and you can tell um, that the music's really meant something to them? Do you allow yourself to, or do you have to cut yourself off to both ends? The of one-on-one exchanges when I'm able to get to know someone because they liked the, they liked the music, um, that means the world to me. When ah. I'm able to, when I, that, and it's not even because of the music it's just because whoa here i am connecting with another human that i otherwise would have been forced to act as what a stranger how a stranger is expected to act you know right. you're, you mean you're like not, so the music was sort of an ambassador that brought you together yeah and i love that that's my favorite thing about about being on tour and meeting people when all of a sudden i'm having conversations that if we were standing in line at the coffee house uh next to each other we would not be sharing our feelings the way we are when someone is coming up and saying, man, I had a rough year and your music was there for me. And I, and I was able to get through it. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh my gosh, I have this, 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 you know, kinship with somebody. Um, and, and who cares that I wrote the song 
um, or you know, maybe it's a cover, maybe it's a song that he wrote, and I'm telling him this to him. I feel like if anything, whether it's music or otherwise, allows two people to all of a sudden be connecting, um, that's as cool as it can get. But I do think when it comes to the reviews, that's something that I have to. That there's actually two really cool, um, I, I don't quotes, um. That I've that I've taken with me. One uh, when I was playing a show with Jackson Brown actually, and he said to me, he said, um, "I can't read reviews because the bad is always devastating, yeah. and the good is never good enough." And and then That's true. there's that Maya Angelou uh, uh, iconoclast TV show where she she yeah. and Dave Chappelle are ha- having a conversation, and she said, uh, "If you don't pick it up, then you don't have to put it down," and basically meaning. Um, if you don't believe the, if you decide not to believe the the really bad reviews and say you guys are full of shit, I'm, I'm that you're wrong. There's something that's there's something of value in what I do. Um, then you also are you can't believe what the um the good the the good reviews are saying. You have to you have to nullify all of their opinions. And if you decide to believe anyone when they say you're a genius, you're great, then you all also have to give them some power when they decide to say you're you're over the hill. You're done. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because, you know, Jason, you mentioned Jason Isbell when you first walked in here. Yeah. And, you know, knowing this album is coming out of his after he did the thing he did on Southeastern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, you know, I, I felt like uh, I can't imagine being in that, what that must feel like to him to be walking around knowing he, yeah, you know, he did the thing that, like, is yeah. impossible to do. Um, I wanted did that did the fact that he put it out on his own label and that Amy Mann and a few of those people help you make the decision to put yours out um, I, on your own record. I mean, the point I was going to make is that Isabel said much the same, which was, I said, like, how are you going to follow this up? And he's like, dude, I can't. If I let myself think about that, I won't even be able to write a song. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, you know, you guys have really also, I think, taken a big thing out of it by getting rid of a gatekeeper, which is you've put this record out yourself. Right. Um, and I guess people can still support that in some way. Um, yeah, it's been it's been great, like being on our own label. I don't. It. it I think it's just an it's a big shift in general um, with with music, um, the music business. And I think that I don't know if it was if it was any artist in particular, but uh, just the this this bigger shift of of uh, what is a label doing, um, especially when you get to a certain point. When we were doing our first two records. Uh, it was great to have a label, and they were really great to us. But once you're a touring and, band and have fans, yeah, and all of a sudden, like you know, and then we teamed up with with Q Prime, which is this great management company, and they, um, you know, they have the the resources that we would need to pay a radio person and pay um marketing and pay for all these things that 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 our label was doing, and we and so all of a sudden, like oh. We can do it just with the band and with the managers, and now there's so much more transparency. And now that now that there isn't this other cook in the kitchen saying, "Hey, why don't you have a song like this?" Right. Um, I think that our managers, it's been great. They've been, you know, they've they've uh, I, they've been really harsh, like with with not oh, that's a weird word, but um, they've been very. Um, they're not these fan fanagers um or whatever the phrase great is great term um i never heard it before it's awesome <laughs> and like they're they're very much like okay you got this you got this but you still aren't doing this or you still aren't doing that i think they right, would when love... they heard so when they heard all your favorite bands that song did you feel like everybody breathed a sigh of relief the... like oh we have a big hit single <laughs> They yeah they were they they were very thrilled about the record I mean they you know they still no matter what 
I ever do, they're gonna they're gonna point out exactly what could be better in their. And it seems like that's what um, you want in a way. Absolutely, I love it. And I've had friends say like, "Really, you like? Don't you want a manager that's gonna make you like, believe in? I mean, not that they don't make me believe in myself. They make me believe in myself more well, than they anybody believe else in could. You a ton. I mean, I know because they I do, know yeah. that they're being honest with me. Um, and I've and yeah, I've been around other managers where I'm not really sure if if they're being honest. They just seem to love everything, not necessarily of mine, but of the artists that they work with. Um, so I I love that breakdown. I mean, they, they you know they're very supportive of this record. Like a good example is um, we got we we were finishing the artwork, and Peter Minch um, was just not was like, well, what if you tried this or that or this or that, and kept pushing and not feeling like it was done. I loved the artwork. I was so happy with it, and I was like, I, and then eventually just got to it just got down to the wire, and we were like, we we there, nothing else is going to happen. We have to go with this, and then um, I l- left that situation thinking, oh, he didn't, he doesn't like the album art. That's that's too bad. And then when we were together last, um, we were talking about it again, and I said, uh, but it's the best art album art I think we've ever had. And he was like, oh, well, obviously that. Like, and all of a sudden, that was really... Yeah, that, they're that, just pushing. Yeah, yeah I was well, like, oh, that, 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 that gives me perspective. It sounds perfect for you, because obviously you push yourself that hard. There was so much more that I wanted to ask you, but I know you agreed to... You're going to play a song for us, too, which is yeah, a, yeah. a rare thing. Um, almost never do it, but I'm, I really would love people who don't know your music to get to hear um, you play something. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm so glad you're out there writing songs. I, I got to say, um, your albums are albums that... My whole, all four of us. I have a 15 year old, a 19 year old, and Amy, my wife, and and me. And the the four of us, it's it's a, a band we all agree on. Oh, that's and cool. so we listen to your records, uh, driving around whenever we're together. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, dude, I can't wait to see you guys play live. And and thanks for coming by, um, and doing this. I guess last thing, um, it, did you uh, you know, you're talking about people taking these creative risks, and obviously Mumford made this album that's very different. Yeah. And they're getting a lot of flack from certain people. I think right. it's great. Yeah, actually, cool. I think they killed it. Did you throw in a supportive uh, email or phone call? Um, I've, I've, I did tell Marcus that I think it's his best record, um, and I do think that uh, we, we, we saw they came out. They were doing these warm up shows. Uh, they played at the Roxy in L.A. and it was perfect. Actually, it was really, um, it was, it was really sweet because it was Jim was in town as well. So Jim and I both got oh, to great. go. Jim and, James and yeah, Jim James. So from the basement tapes, we both got to go bug Marcus after the show, and it felt like the gang was back together for a second. And yeah, it's uh, it's I I'm, I admire him so much that 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 they were willing to do what they believed in at that time. I think that that's that's one thing that I was that I was um, talking about earlier of, of your own criteria. Yeah. And and I and I you know it's it's always easy to struggle with that. Like with this record that we just made, it sounds like four guys in a room making a live record. It doesn't sound like this wall to wall sound huge thing. Um, and when I hear like you know this incredible new Mumford single or this incredible new Alabama Shake single or My Morning Jacket and everything is huge and beautiful and I I think like whoa how is our record gonna it, live in this climate? But then I think that there I go again and I'm and I'm applying another criteria to to what we're trying to do, which is a different thing. And I and I can't um, I have to remind myself like no we're not we didn't. If 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 I want to beat myself up about the fact that we didn't make a record someone else did, then I'm never going to be happy. Your thing is going to survive because of words and melodies, yeah. dude. <laughs> words and melodies. Hey, Taylor Goldsmith, thanks so much for doing this. People can find you at Dawes the Band on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Your website is... DawesTheBand.com. DawesTheBand.com. And then Dawes the, Dawes the Band on Instagram and... Um, so check out Dawes the Band. Uh, you know, with all this talk about um, songs and like lyrics... Uh, 
Taylor's a uh, a greatly guitar player too, and I, I don't want to you know just say don't go expecting uh, some sleepy album. The records <laughs> aren't uh, sleepy at all. There's a uh, great guitar playing, and uh, his brother's a great drummer and, and singer also. And um, yeah, full endorsement from me on uh, the <laughs> Dawes catalog, in particular the new album, which is out June second uh, this week. And uh, so check it out. You can find me at Brian Koppelman on Twitter. You can email me, themomentbk at gmail.com, but don't send me, I always say, don't send me TV show ideas or movie ideas. Also, no song lyrics. Uh, all that stuff will go right in the garbage, but uh, send me anything else. All right, thanks. Stay tuned for Taylor to play a song. Oh, great. So Taylor's not just going to play any song. He's going to play uh, my favorite song off the new record and my favorite song of the year, all your favorite bands. So here we go. Late night drives and hot french fries And friends around the country From Charlottesville to good old Santa Fe When I think of you, you still got on that hat That says let's party I hope that thing is never thrown away I hope that life without a chaperone is what you thought it'd be I hope your brother's El Camino runs forever I hope the world sees the same person that you always were to me And may all your favorite bands stay together Now I'm just waking up and I'm not thinking clearly So don't quote me With one eye open I'm writing you this song Ain't it funny how some people Pop into your head so easily When you haven't seen them in there for so long I hope that life without a chaperone is what you thought it'd be I hope your brother's El Camino runs forever I hope the world sees the same person that you've always been to me And may all your favorite bands stay together And may all your favorite bands stay together Wow, dude, that's fucking sick. That's so awesome. And I realized I'd kill myself if I didn't ask you this question. Did the person you wrote it for hear the song? Did you send yeah. her yeah. Uh, the song? Yeah, she says she listens to it all the time. Oh, uh, that must make you feel great. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, that one, awesome. that one's good. You'll take that opinion. Yeah, exactly. Hers matters. Oh, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> what a great song. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks, everyone, for cool. listening.